0: Hello, I'm Oliver Wong.
1: And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, flammables. And today, we'll be talking about the 1984 compilation album, Minor Threat by Minor Threat.
0: A red cover? a pair of well-worn shit-kickers, a bald head laid between crossed arms. This iconic image graced the cover of the 1984 self-titled compilation by the Washington, D.C. hardcore group Minor Threat. Originally formed by Ian MacKay and Jeff Nelson, who then added Lyle Presler and Brian Baker, Minor Thread had just four short years together, but in that time, they became one of the most influential punk bands in history, not just helping establish a sharp and relentless sound, but also a lifestyle orthodoxy that laid the groundwork for the Straight Edge ethos. This was an action-packed, 12-song, 17-minute monster of an album, by a group on a furious rise. To quote Patrick James of the LA Weekly, they were so fast, so tight, so righteous, so young. To,
1: to, go to, we're we're just... to talk about minor threat, we invited documentarian and tattoo artist James Spooner. Spend a decent amount of time on Twitter and you'll probably come across the hashtag for the culture. Sometimes it's well-placed, overtures, releases, stances existing for the purpose of cultural progression. It's been 15 years since James Spooner gave us a 66-minute peek into his experience growing up black and punk, the music that raised him in the scene, the community that gave him legs and wings, and the politics of being revolutionary in white spaces. The film made a mark, a mark so searing that it birthed a festival, first local, now global, an event that for many is a place to celebrate being an outsider, anti, different, rebellious, and queer. Legacy is something transmitted by an ancestor or a predecessor. So it's only right. Then when considering the legacy of black folks and punk, alongside bad brains, National Wake, Pure Hell, Death and Death Grips, Living Color, Fishbone, Tamar Kali, and Polystyrene, we consider James Spooner. Who did it all for #hashtag the culture? <laughs> Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much.
1: So, what was your introduction to Minor Threat?
2: I I was living in uh, the high desert in a little town uh, called Apple Valley, mm. California. I was probably into the punk scene for about a year, and uh, I was hanging out with this kid who he was my my best friend at the time, and he uh, he had went to L.A. for the weekend or something, and he was complaining about like how he was hanging out with these lame straight edge kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I was like,
2: what's straight edge? Yeah, you know, yeah. And he was like, oh, there's these like loser punks that don't do drugs or drink. And I was 13 and I was like being peer pressured into drinking and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was doing it mm-hmm. to a degree, but my heart wasn't really About that, but but I really wanted to be punk. You know, I really wanted people to look at me and be like, "That is a punk rocker." You know, (laughs) so it just the just the him saying that there are punks that don't drink or do drugs like categorically. I was like, Mm. "Oh, you can—that's a thing." Yeah, you know. And uh, I don't know how I found out about the band, but um, I know that it happened in and around that time. I actually found this like gem on YouTube of a video of me at my first punk show, and somebody interviewed me for like a minute or something. Wow! And they asked me like what my favorite bands are. Who are you guys influenced? Huh? Who are you influenced by? By the Sex Pistols, fucking Misfits. I got into the Sex Pistols. Wait, man. Like. (laughs) There, I don't know if there's been a more exciting time in my life than that moment, <laughs> seeing that video and being like, oh, my God, there's documentation of the very first show, you know?
1: Legit. Yeah. Legit cred out there.
2: But uh, anyways, somehow I heard this record, and um, much like, you know, the Bad Brains or Black Flag, it's like an undeniable good record. And even, like, my girlfriend who is not really into hardcore or anything, but she likes a lot of British punk. Mm. Like, Minor Threat's the one American hardcore band that she can, like, listen to and
0: enjoy. And so how did you know to buy that particular comp? Was it something that your friend had put you up on, or you just saw the cover and was like, I'll take a chance on this because it's one of the three things that I can find in Sam Goody that I might want to listen to?
2: I mean, I can't remember the specifics, Mm. but I'm imagining that somebody probably put it on on a... a mixtape for me or something. You know, I mean, the record is clearly like some kind of hardcore guy on the cover, you know? And then the flip side, one of the tracks is called Straight Edge. Right. You know? Right. I knew that. And you know what? There's this great documentary that came out in 1982 called uh, Another State of Mind. Mm-hmm. And they interview uh, Ian Mackay in D.C., and he kind of goes through his, like, ethos. Um, and I guess we should say, for those of who are listening who don't know what Straight Edge is... Sure. Um, it's the conscious choice to not drink or do drugs. And at that time, it was also, uh, like, an anti-one-night-stand right. kind of thing. And uh, later, as it evolved... It uh, started to. It's not exclusive to, but like vegetarianism became mm-hmm. a part of it, mm-hmm. and then veganism. You know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of, like there's a lot of crossover, and a lot of straight edge kids are vegan, and it's a little surprising when they're not.
0: You know, the term dates back to this album. I I don't know if Minor Threat took it from someplace else, but I, certainly their use of it is what helped to popularize it. And I'm wondering by the time. You discovered what the album around nineteen eighty eight. I think you said the album had come out in eighty four. Was straight a term already being used four years later.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I can I can confirm that Ian MacKay uh, coined that phrase. Okay. Um, he is a bit of a wordsmith. Okay. Um, I I had the opportunity to hang out with him at length um, at the Minor Threat House or uh, the Discord House, and um, he's got like a huge uh dictionary like on display i mean it's the <laughs> biggest dictionary i've ever seen and it's just like sitting you know out or whatever but i asked him about that and he said yeah you know like i wanted to um say like i have my head on straight but i still have an edge oh. You know, saying mean? like um, that is clever yeah. yeah and you know and then it also is like a ruler straight edge or whatever sure, you know sure, so sure. and they also did that with the with minor threat you know it's uh, they're minors, yes, and they're a threat. But they're a threat, you know, uh-huh. and their previous band, Teen Idols. Idols is I D L E. Yeah, exactly. So like teens hang around. They're idle, you know, whatever. So he he's into that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I want to come back in a moment to your just general introduction to punk in, um, in, as a young person, but we had mentioned before we started taping that you had, and you mentioned just now too, you've met Ian MacKay, and then you said that him and Daryl Mack were two of your idols who did not disappoint you when you met them.
2: Correct. It was interesting because in doing Afropunk and then subsequently screening it and going around the country and the world um, with the film, I uh, either interviewed people who I listened to as a kid or, you know, like I had moments where it was like, holy shit, I'm about to sit down with so-and-so, you know? And then actually sitting down with them and being like, "Oh, this guy's a loser," you know, <laughs> or this guy is like so. A lot of pe- a lot of people are bitter because they were like the Godfathers and they are poor, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand it. A lot of people had their you know, when you have your heyday when you're seventeen. It's like you, you peaked too early. Yeah, it's like yeah. the the you know the guy exactly. who, right. the football guy who Al Bundy. like yeah exactly for <laughs> uh, touchdowns at Polkai. Like <laughs> um so so I get it but when I the reason that I met Ian McKay was because I had a screening in DC I wasn't there mm. and I just went about my regular email day and I get an email from him wow. and he was like hey I saw your film I really liked it. Yeah. And we kind of had a couple of back and forth. Meanwhile, of course, I'm like, "Oh my god." Like, you know, like <laughs> seriously, yeah. <laughs> um, I was working on a project that he was like, "Oh, you should come back down to my spot sometime. Mm-hmm. Like I have like amazing archives you'd you'd love to see, I'm sure." And I was like, "Yeah, can I come tomorrow?" You know. <laughs> and he's like a in some ways he's like a time capsule like the he was telling me stories that were the same The same things that he was saying in 1982 in that documentary, Mm. you know, it's like he is this kind of man who developed what his politics were going to be, and at a very young age, like a teenager, and then just like ran with it, never Mm. strayed. And Mm. anyone could go on; anyone who knows anything about Ian Mackay could go on for hours just talking about him because he's he's like this anomaly in that like you know he's got his own record label he's put out all these bands he told me he doesn't have a lawyer he's never had a contract with anybody he's like I don't want to I don't want anybody be on my record label that doesn't want to be on it he's just very like punk rock through and through forever
1: Just to say something really quick just going back to, to straight edge as as uh, Ian coining that term and how influential um, it has been because not only did it give birth to a, a group of kids and bands that really identified with this lifestyle I have heard there's a band in Boston that named themselves In My Eyes after one of the songs on this album and have encouraged a bunch of kids to also be straight edge mm-hmm. how soon after this coin was termed did bands start you know, pushing this lifestyle and being a part of this lifestyle? Or or was Minor Threat just the first one? And then generations later, people caught on. Did it become a thing at the time?
2: I think it did become a thing at the time. There were definitely, like, Seven Seconds was um, a West Coast band that was straight edge in the early 80s. Um, I think that there are kids like me who, actually, but who play music who are like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do drugs either, you know? Mm-hmm. And they started those bands as well. And... By the late 80s, there was an explosion. Like, I mean, that was like Youth of Today, Judge, Bold, like all of those sure. bands. But it's funny that you actually mentioned the In My Eyes thing because uh, I was going through the, the track listing. You've got like three or four songs about Straight Edge. You've got like a bunch of songs about just being angry. And, um, and then you've got the one like outlier that is worthy of question and that's Guilty of Being White. Mm-hmm. I figured eventually we'd get to that, but the reason that I uh, brought it up now is because there's a hardcore website that's kind of the equivalent of The Onion, where they just like kind of... Parody. Parody, yeah. hardcore stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, they have this one article that says, like, there's a band called Guilty of Being White who says that was the only song that, wasn't a- that was still available... You know, like song name that cause like every ba- every one of there's a seeing red you know
1: oh, for every song yeah right,
2: you right. know it's like so they were just like right. uh, everyone 's bit every song off
0: here, except that one, no one when yeah. they left that one alone, yeah,
2: exactly, so maybe for good
0: reason, yeah
2: they're like, so we're not racist, you know, like <laughs> so um that song is definitely um. I don't know if you want to talk about it now. No,
0: I, we we might as well go in because yeah. and to predicate, you know, I am not by any means knowledgeable about hardcore or punk in general. So this song in particular, the, the name, the title itself stands out. And then you do some background reading and you look at the lyrics. And my first thought is, the fuck, man? You know, so and I know, I mean, obviously, this is not hardly the first time Ian has ever been called on the carpet. Uh, to to discuss, like, so what exactly were you going for? But it seems a bit like defense, like white man defensive. Um, and maybe that's exactly what it is. I, mean, I think Enos has said that he was reflecting on his personal experience growing up as a minority white student in a largely African-American school or school district in D.C. Um, but it does, it's a song that, again, independent of any deeper context is at minimum a little uncomfortable to to ponder, at least.
2: Yeah, I mean... The the lyrics are, um, I'm sorry for something I didn't do. Lend somebody, but I don't know who. You blame me for slavery a hundred years before I was born. The few things that I, I I put it in context, you know, first of all, like, the the idea of like white privilege and and uh, white guilt and that kind of stuff like mm-hmm. you know those are relatively new concepts in the like regular like you in know the discourse we, as they say yeah sure. this is we just you know kids now hear the word white privilege, you know like you have to be part of some kind of community to hear that and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and also like these are the words of a nineteen year old you know and they and they also there's a whole lot of like yous, you know, so I don't want to be like an apologist or anything, but like this song, along with a lot of the songs, he's he's saying you did this, you, you, you. I imagine that he was very much inspired by a conversation that happened mm-hmm. and I could totally see a white kid who goes to a black high school having a conversation and being and coming home and being like, you said that I, you know, did this for mm-hmm. sl- whatever, you know. This is the this is the the one place where I think probably I'd like to think that like forty something years later or whatever uh, he'd be like well you know I was nineteen like give me a break, break. You know? yeah. Like, yeah
0: Um as long as we don't see him wearing rocking a MAGA cap then it's then like it's cool yeah <laughs> it's cool, you know <laughs> yeah exactly
1: and and I think I I think he he I saw a little uh, video of him saying like. You know, these were my sentiments at the time. I didn't think that some, I guess, Polish dude would get hold of it and be like, "This song inspired me." Who took it completely di- the di- a different way? Mm-hmm. But I think there are a few um, songs, you know, certainly in punk areas, that g- get confused like that. Certainly, Black Black Flag's "White Minority," Yeah. where on first listen, you're like, "What?" And then listening to it a little bit more, I was like, oh, okay.
2: Yeah. And you can hear um, the guy who wrote it, who wrote the lyrics, Keith Morris, who was also in Circle Jerks and Off, he um, will, like, any time that he ever plays it, he intros it and explains, like, yo, this is what I meant. This is where we're, you know, because, um, I mean, I remember being a kid when I first heard this and other people being like, yeah, they're a racist band. You know, like, and they're stoked on it because I was hanging out with all these racist kids, (laughs) you know, (laughs) in in Apple Valley. Um, It's easy to reinterpret, you know. um,
1: Same with Reagan Youth and and New Arians. And that was a little bit off-putting because their cover art. Was all like pictures of people in white robes and stuff. So it's hard to get past the art to be like, oh, this, there's a message in here that's anti racism. Yeah. That's anti-racism. yeah. Um, so that, that part was hard. I think it's easy to misconstrue what, what was being said. But to, but to Oliver's point, I'll give him credit if he's like, this was me then and this is my interpretation. But I think it, at, at first listen, you're just like, what are you really saying here?
2: Yeah. What are and, you and, really saying here? and I think that, um, like, I had this experience with Patti Smith and Rock and Roll Nigger. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had to uh, in the beginning of Afropunk I quote that uh a piece of her song Outside is the side That's where I wanna be
1: Outside of the Science The Way to Fun Bose who have suffered understand suffering, suffering thereby extend their hand. The storm
2: their lens on the And I had to get I had to get permission, you know? And luckily, I was in this circumstance where um, I was working with this guy who I don't know. He had a, he had her phone number, so he just like <laughs> called her up, you know. And she was like, you know, he's like, he's this guy. He wants to use a quote, blah blah blah. She's like, is he black? And <laughs> he said yes, and she said fine. <laughs> okay. You know? So it's like, all right, they get it, you know. It's like Shout these are yeah, these are like. Uh, unformed thoughts by teenagers. Yeah. You know? Right. So some stuff is going to be like right on and like stay right on. And some stuff is like, eh, well, you know what? We've evolved. We've thought about it more. We've like traveled outside of our little bubble, you know,
1: grown men now.
2: Yeah. If we can slide
0: back to a, a young 12, 13 year old, uh, you know, James Spooner, Living in Apple Valley. So how did you even get introduced to punk to begin with? Because this is one genre as as important and popular as it is. I think unlike most other musics, especially in the 80s, you just were not going to catch it on radio or MTV outside. of I mean, maybe the Ramones and whatnot, but probably Minor Threat was not in heavy rotation and whatever radio stations were getting played out in the high valley. So how, yeah, it's high desert, I should say. So how were you coming across this stuff at all? Like, what was your intro?
2: I credit it all to this one skateboard video called Ohio Skate Out, and um, the reason why that was special was, uh, it was just a skate competition, um, but they had all the music that the guys skated to, there was like a little kind of three, what do they call it, a... Uh, Two thirds, little like words, or little words at the bottom that told yeah. you what the name the, of the yeah, song was well, and caption, yeah. you know, yeah, sure the album, the band, right. and the record label, yeah, and um, and it was all stuff on SST records almost mm. exclusively, mm. which hosts all of Black Flag, uh, Bad Brains, Descendants, etc. I mean, it, it was like really like there were no bad songs on this. Yeah, this dude Bill Danth. Danforth was skating to Black Flag mm. and he was just killing it just doing like t- bomb drops like 20 feet off the top of a ramp and and I was just like I want to feel like that guy so I like went to Sam Goody and I bought like Black Flag Wasted again and I like mm. put it on and it's just like super hard and they're yeah. screaming like I don't care and it's like what lyrics I could understand were really like had this fuck you vibe to them which like probably every 12 13 year old person boy does but Hmm. i certainly had a lot of anger that i wasn't aware of and this spoke to me you know Mm -hmm. so black flag leads to the sex pistols leads to descendants listen you know and then i'm you know and then it's like oh you know what like I can I can be angry here and then I can like listen to the Descendants and they're singing kind of like love songs. I was like, oh, I can have this emotion, you know? And pretty soon I'm able to find like all of my emotions within this like genre of angry music. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this a lot because of the graphic novel I'm working on. And like I was bullied in seventh grade. And I think that like in eighth grade when I got into punk, like the summer transitioning schools and stuff like mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. I think I was like... Subconsciously, like if you're gonna fuck with me, I let I at least let it be on my terms. Mm. Sure. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. And then on the flip side, like on a conscious level, I think that I thought punks were scary and maybe I wouldn't get bullied because people wouldn't want to mess with me. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah, yeah. turned out to not be true. I was, I mean, that was gonna be the next question, how'd that work out? <laughs> but you know, it, it I think it definitely felt um I was empowered.
0: We will be back with more of our conversation with James Spooner on Minor Threats, Minor Threat, after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked.
3: This is NASA. Uh, I see a flat Earth, but we should lie to everybody about it and say it's round 10
2: Maximum Fun brings you the latest podcast, an expose on the flat Earth. Psh,
3: I want to take advantage of humankind and make them believe a lie so that they will trust us, with the government.
2: It's all an elaborate lie. And when you get on a plane, they purposefully fly you farther than you need to go.
3: It's disgusting. It needs to be stopped. And if you listen to Ono Ross and Carey, we will tell you the truth behind the lies.
1: Just kidding. No, we won't
3: do that. We will just tell
1: you the truth behind the truth because what we do is we look at extraordinary claims. That's
2: right. We've gone undercover with alternative medical treatments, fringe religious groups, fringe science claims, the spiritual, paranormal. We're there to check it out and let you know what happens.
3: Is the Queen Mary haunted? I don't know. Find out.
2: We show up. We make friends. We learn what happens when you ask questions and we tell you all about it.
3: And we get all that funky stuff done to us.
2: It's Ono, Ross, and Kerry
3: at MaximumFun.org
1: Shirts, stickers, patches, posters, tote bags, aprons Sure, you might have some of these things already But do they rep your favorite MaxFun shows? We've got brand new items in stock at MaxFunStore.com So why not stock up on gear that shows off the podcasts you love? MaxFunStore.com It's good stuff, we swear mm-hmm. We are back on Heat Rocks talking with James Spooner about Minor Threat, Minor Threat.
0: James, we've been talking, I mean, broad conversations. So to bring this back to Minor Threat, and and in particular, this this compilation, which puts together the group's first two EPs, their credit, and I mentioned this in the intro, they're credited with being one of the most influential hardcore groups out there. What exactly made them so influential?
2: Well, I think much like Bad Brains, they're just good. Okay. You know, I mean, a lot of times people think of punk and they just think about, like, people just banging on the drums and, like, riffing on the guitars and, like, whatever. And some of that is true. And those bands don't stand the test of time. And for a band to come out with, uh, you know, I think you said it was, like, a 15-minute...
0: 17 minutes, 12, (laughs) 12 songs in 17 minutes, which is impressive.
2: Yeah. To do that and for people to still be talking about it Right. Like, on a grand scale years later, those songs, like, you have to be tight as a musician, mm. you know, you have to, like, get to the point, and it has to have this, like, level of emotion that is easily transferable and translatable, like, whatever, you know? So it's hard to say, like, what what makes a, a band pop other than, like, it's good, you know? <laughs> yeah. Straight up.
0: You know? <laughs> I was just thinking about the musicality on the album, and one of the songs that really stood out to me listening to this for the first time, and just to repeat, this is definitely the first time I ever have listened to Minor Threat before, um, is the song Stepping Stones, because mm-hmm. when I saw it on the track listing, the name sounded familiar for some reason, but it wasn't until I started listening to it, and it took me probably at least the first the first set of verses to realize, wait, is this a cover of a song that I associate with the Monkees, and this is the Monkees' original version, or I guess the Monkees, it wasn't their song, but they had the big hit version of it back in the 60s. And then here is Minor Threat's take on Stepping Stones. And on the one hand, you can definitely hear the original buried within this in terms of the lyrics, some of the chord changes, i guess, but otherwise, you wouldn't normally confuse the two for one another and i don't I don't know if this was the only non original song off of this album,
2: but they have one other okay uh one two x u is a wire cover oh, okay,
0: okay, um but they're not covering the monkeys on that one no. so yeah i it, it was such a a, a a nice surprise in a way just because I just assumed that most of this was just stuff that they had come up with. And it sound. I mean, most of the album sounds like this is a young group of people sitting down and writing their own songs. But then they pulled this song out from the 1960s and, and throw it in there as well. Um, I don't know if you have anything to say about Stepping Stones in terms of as, as, as a song, like how it hit you the first time you heard it. I know it just stood out to me because of the, the quasi-familiarity of it, but also the unexpectedness of it in, in, the, in the process.
2: I mean, it's probably like more of a, musical song you know like in terms of chord changes and you know whatever um the thing that like i think about is that when i was in uh my first band filth and fury when i was 13 uh we used to cover it and i don't think we knew that it was a monkey so i thought we were covering the minor, minor threat, threat. You know? <laughs> so you know that's great good Good bad name, by the way. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah.
1: I gravitated a lot towards this song. Um, I like that, to me, the song has two personalities. It's one way, and then halfway in, it completely changes. And to me, it became more rock, and um, I just love the musicality of the song. That was That was one of my favorites, and I liked Bottled Violence. I just wish it had been longer. It was like, wait, wait.
0: <laughs> but that's almost every song. That's on every this album, song, right? Yeah, and that was
1: fifty-four seconds where I thought, wait, wait, <laughs> I, love I love you, don't leave.
0: James, what is your fire track off of this comp?
2: Um, I think I don't want to hear it. It's interesting, the other day, uh, went preparing for this, I like actually read the lyrics for the first time. Like, mm-hmm. I think I just, I picked this because I thought I knew the lyrics more than a lot of other th- you know? Oh, interesting. And then I yeah. read them, and I was like, oh, that's what he's saying, you know? <laughs> um, and some of it I got, and some of it, like, ultimately, it's just like a lot of, like, I'm angry at somebody. So hearing something like, I don't want to hear it, no, you're full of shit, like, We all experience that at every time of our lives, but I think as a as a thirteen year old, I'm thinking about my parents. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about my teachers. You know, like it's definitely directed at like authority. Yeah. And I definitely was attracted to music that was saying, like, that was telling authority to fuck off. Yeah. Right. You
0: know. I want to come back back to Morgan's point for a second here, which is that. A lot of the songs on this are very short. The song you just mentioned, 73 seconds. And what little I know of punk is that, yeah, punk is full of a lot of really short songs. For, for Morgan, it left her wanting more because that's, you know, a lot of these songs are over, at least in our sense of time, before they even begin. And I'm wondering for you as someone who listens to this all the time, do you have that same sensation, too, that you, you want the songs to be longer? Or are you actually pretty good with how, the brevity of them, the efficiency of them, if you will?
2: Yeah, I never thought of it. Like when you said it was 17 minutes, I was like, "Oh, really?" I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, because I when I think about a lot of the music that I like from this time period or in the punk scene, it is it's like on a 7-inch and it's got five or six yeah. songs on it. So, you know, I guess they all are all quick, you know. Yeah. One thing about going to a show like ima- like I imagine seeing them live, mm-hmm. you know, and the bands that I've seen that are like them live, And it's just like you're in this hot room with a bunch of sweaty dudes and there's an explosion and everybody like is jumping on top of each other, trying to like get to the mic and sing along or whatever. And then it's over. And it's like, thank God that didn't last three minutes. (laughs) You know, like, let me have a break. (laughs) And then we'll jump back in, you know. Yeah. So I
0: don't know. There have been a lot of people who have covered songs off this album. We've been talking about that. But if there was a song off of here that you would like to hear a contemporary artist take on, what would the song be and who would the artist be?
2: I guess like, you know, as a a DJ, I was like a collector of covers, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was like how many copies or how many versions of, like, Sunny can I get? Or how many versions... Spinning wheel. Yeah, how many versions of Light My Fire, you yes. know, whatever. And it's like... You're speaking my language right now. Yeah, and, there, I mean, there, there's... <laughs> it's amazing. But what's, what's kind of amazing about it is, like, how completely different, you know, uh, you could take... Um, you, you can you can make a song. You know, you put a female vocalist on it. You, like, extend it to eight minutes or whatever. You know, and it's it can be... A lot of times it's better than the original, you mm. know? I don't need to hear, like, a punk band cover any of these songs because okay. they're not going to do it better. Okay. You know, it's like I'll stand firm in saying that there has never been a good Bob Marley cover. There are Ooh. plenty of people who have done it, and they've done... Like, okay, you know what? That's a good song. It's not better than Bob Marley's version. Right. Sure. right. You know? But there are a lot of songs. I can... I, we could go through my collection and I could find <laughs> somebody who does every Rolling Stones better song better than Rolling Stones. Like, oh. you know, you can put a female vocalist on any of those songs and it's better. You know? But... I mean, I don't, I don't even like anybody currently. But like, you know, so. No one. No covers, period. We're keeping it at 100 right now. All right. I mean, it it would be interesting to hear, like, I would like to hear some of this stuff sampled. You know, mm-hmm. like, that might be interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. In general, do you think punk lends itself to covers, or maybe the inverse, that punk is actually hard to cover, partly because of how you hear the originals? You don't need to hear another version of it because what you're trying to capture is not what are they going to do with the vocal arrangement. That's not that's not the point of 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 that in that in this case.
2: Punk rock is just this like teenagers who are playing raw music in the best way that they can, which is not necessarily um, the best way that can be played. Right. right you know what I'm saying? And right. that's what makes it amazing. So then taking somebody who like. Is a gifted musician or seasoned musician, right. and then having them like interpret it's, it's that rawness
0: yeah it doesn 't really work yeah it 's yeah. just
2: like okay, well, I guess that was a fun experiment, right. but you know is it necessary is it's it, it
0: it's like it 's like trying to cover hip hop songs, which is really, really hard to do for reasons that I think a lot of people are trying to you know, have tried to figure out over the years why does it seem so hard to do that, and I think maybe again, not to try to force the parallel here, but there is something about the rawness. You know authenticity. You can maybe throw sure. some square scare quotes around if you want, but there's something about that that doesn't really make it. Like hearing another version of it doesn't make you appreciate the original that much better necessarily, and it doesn't make the cover itself that impressive either. You sure. just rather hear someone just do new shit rather than covering old shit. So. Yeah,
2: and you know what I was just thinking. Um, if you can, uh, uh, another parallel that's worthy of like conversation is uh, like whenever I hear that a hip-hop artist has a ghostwriter, it's like, how corny can you be, right? Like, we really want those words to be coming from Mm -hmm. that artist, Mm -hmm. right? In in a way that we completely abandoned for, like, pop music, for soul music, for, like, you know, for the most part, you know, it's just like, oh, yeah, they had somebody, whatever, you know? Or that's a cover, like, they did an amazing job of it, or, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But if we if I were to find out that like there was like some uh forty year old guy who like knows everything that there is to know about punk and like wrote all these songs for like some fifteen year olds to play I'd be like how corny is that right. you know like right so it's a violation
1: and in that way, I do think hip hop and punk have a lot in common that there is a lot of pushback. If you're not really true to those lyrics, if it doesn't ring true, if that's not really you personally, I I just don't want to hear it. And I don't think punk can be um, in this form can be interpreted by someone that doesn't have that level of angst. Certainly you don't have the same level of angst at 40 that you do as when you're 15 if you do then you need to do some soul search <laughs> if you're dealing with the same type level of angst then listen that's another conversation that's another show but I do think that's what hip hop and punk both have in common mm-hmm. that there is a keeping it realness that isn't lost on either genre
0: if I can ask you put your kids in your comics on occasion and I'm just wondering I guess your oldest is maybe about 13 or 14 uh, she's 9 oh, talk, oh I'm sorry okay totally <laughs> off uh, are they into punk at all
2: mm, no not really I mean my older daughter, she like started getting into goth stuff. Oh, okay. So she she likes The Smiths and and The Cure, uh, Morrissey or whatever. And you are um, raising
0: an L.A. child, okay?
2: Yeah, and you know, <laughs> and she she just really admires my girlfriend who grew up with that stuff. Mm-hmm. So she has you know between that and like seeing Twilight and whatever, she's like she's like I'm goth now. She has no idea why right. or and nothing to rebel against you know like right. but and i play i play i mostly play like 70s like british punk in mm-hmm. the, in the car and mm-hmm. whatever and she never it's like what she's been raised on so she it's like background for her she doesn't
0: hmm.
2: know that it's you know it's just like she'll right. like maybe make fun of it or whatever right. if it's if, what
0: dad listens to yeah yeah i get that
2: um so it's definitely not like of interest. And I'm trying, you know, she she's young, so just six months ago it was Katy Perry. So it's like we've <laughs> yeah. we've stepped up, you know, and um and it's not like I need her to listen to any of this music, but what I want is for her to uh get the empowerment that comes from this music. Mm. So mm. you know, so I like I like got her into roller derby and she's like super into that, you know, and there's like a natural punk, like aesthetic that comes with absolutely, that. absolutely
0: sure. Yeah, and
2: yeah. and there's this, there's like this empowerment that I want for especially as a as a young woman. I want her to like grow and have. And then, you know, my little one, she's four, but I do have kind of like a funny thing when she was younger, when she was like two. It what if she would be crying or whatever? Anytime she was upset, I could put on this. This song by Murder City Devils called swagger swagger she
3: goes boom swagger swagger boom boom swagger boom boom swagger swagger boom boom swagger boom boom
2: boom and it would like instantly change the vibe, like she was so into that song it was, yeah, it was like, how did we stumble across this magic song? you know, but I used it for like a year and a half, you know? So. we 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 don't know what, you know, who knows where, yeah, yeah, who knows where these kids will go and what, what the options will be. Right. Right.
1: Do you think, in your opinion, was this album uh, right on time, uh, ahead of its time, or timeless?
2: I think this album is timeless. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Every, I don't think there'll be a generation that doesn't have a segment of kids who are really angry and need someone to say that for them. You know, I'm dealing with all these teenagers now and working in my graphic novel, and they're listening to all these bands from the early 80s. You know, it's just like, these are the classics, you know? So yeah, there's new bands that they go see and whatever, but there's a reverence. I I just was thinking about one of the differences between hip-hop and punk. I feel like in hip-hop, is always moving forward. Mm -hmm. And, like, that stuff from the past is corny. Mm -hmm. And in punk and hardcore, there are bands who actively try to sound like 1989. Mm -hmm. You know? There Mm -hmm. are kids Mm -hmm. who are wearing clothes that are emulating 1976. Absolutely. You know? And they want to be as as close to that as possible it's like the in the 90s when there were all these kids who were like kind of like mod hair shakers or whatever you know there's a reverence for the for the past i don't have any like that's not it sounded a little judgy but it's totally not because i have an understanding of the context of black music and and black people and how we need to keep moving forward in order to stay ahead of those who are trying to co-opt mm. our stuff, yeah, you know? Yeah. So um, I feel like black people always need to have a language that only they understand. Sure.
0: Before the Beckys get hold of it.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. then, you know, but um, with um, like th- punk, th- punk comes out of uh, white angst, you know? So even though we're in Los Angeles and probably the majority of punk rockers are Mexican. Yeah, like,
1: I, I'm glad you bring that up because I saw Los Punk's. Which Mm -hmm. was a great documentary about the backyard scene. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm here in LA, and I wasn't aware of it because a lot of those parties and stuff were right in South Central. Mm -hmm. I grew up in South Central, around 60th and Crenshaw. There were a lot of parties in that in that area, and I remember thinking, I feel like I've heard this before, but I just didn't know that this was a scene that was going on right here, right here in LA.
2: Yeah, so like when I went to go see um, Subhumans, who are an English band from the early 80s, I I couldn't believe like how it was super crowded those kids knew the lyrics to every song. Like I was watching the the audience and they're just like singing along like so, uh, with so much fervor and like understanding of like what was being said. And there kept being this, uh, the the singer kept having this dialogue about like, I wrote this song in 1982 as a reaction to Reagan, but like it it still makes sense now. You know, I don't think that... uh, because punk rock is is often very political, and it's got a lot of anger, and things don't seem to change fast enough, kids today who are catching on to con to it are gonna if they're gonna go back to listening to stuff from the seventies, the early eighties, late eighties, even the nineties or whatever, they're gonna find stuff that like completely resonates with what they're dealing with right now.
0: Mm-hmm. If you had to describe the Minor Threat album in three words, what would those three words be?
2: Fast, straight edge, and angry.
1: There it is.
0: I was going to say, straight edge counts as one word or two words on its (laughs) (laughs) point.
1: Well, that'll do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, James Spooner. Let us know what you're working on now.
2: Okay, so I'm really excited. I'm, I'm working on a 350-page uh, memoir, graphic novel uh, about my 8th grade year, mm. both getting into the punk scene and also finding my identity as a black person within the punk scene mm. in this like very white, racist town. I mean, it's still a couple years out. It's a lot of drawing. I, the script is done. Thumbnails are made. Yeah. No, it's just... But I gotta draw 350 pages <laughs> worth of <laughs> so, so um but you know, things are in place. I've got a agent or you know. Great. Well, yeah we're working on it. And then besides that, I tattoo here in Los Angeles. Um you can find me on monocletattoo.com.
0: And where can people find you on the socials?
2: I'm on Instagram. My comics Instagram is Spooners No Fun. Uh and <laughs> my uh Tattoo Instagram is monocle Tattoo. Do you have a studio? Yeah. Um, I'm a private studio in Highland Park. Got it. So, uh, yeah, you reach out to me and we'll sort out all the details. Yeah, besides that, I'm just, like, working on being a better person and a good boyfriend and father. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, thank you so much. That was delightful. That was a great, great call. I really enjoyed that. Indeed. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong, and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, along with Shannon DeLoria and Christian Duenas, both of whom engineer and edit our show. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. And before we get out of here, one last thing. Here is a teaser from next week's episode, which features filmmaker Aurora Guerrera talking about the soundtrack to her movie, Mosquita y Mari.
3: I had about, I don't even remember how many mentees I had, but they were working with me. And one of the things that I asked this young man, Johnny Rios, to do was to put together a playlist Mm. of music from Southeast LA. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. I was like, cool. So I'm doing my thing, you know, and then uh, he goes, hey, I got that playlist for you. I was like, awesome. So I get in my car, I put it in, and it's primarily ska. I did not grow up with ska. I knew East LA had a a very strong punk scene, but I had not really been exposed to Southeast LA ska. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was blown away. I really heard a fusion of influences that were both American and very much Mexican or Latin American. I went to Johnny and I was like, "Johnny, this is beautiful. Like how do you're going to have to connect me to these bands?" Hmm. And he's like, "Oh, well, I belong to most of them." <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that's when the door opened. maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.